Welcome to the Final Score Network and the Final Score Podcast, presented by Team Anders Realtors. I'm Andy. He's former D3 student athlete, two-year starter, consummate glue guy, and co-host... Ryan! Damn! Two-man monster flush! Off the inbound! Ryan Cam Slam Jam! Find us on Podbean, the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at TheFinalScore35. There is always plenty to run through, but before we get to it, a word from our presenting sponsor. Service from the heart to become your Realtors for Real Life is Team Anders Realtors' mission. Team Anders helps its clients find the home that best fits their needs and makes the process simple and fun along the way. Team Anders will be in close communication with you personally taking care of your real estate needs through technology, marketing, and advertising. They have served thousands of clients over 30 plus years in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area, and are here to serve you today. Learn more at teamanders.com. Maybe you noticed we pushed to midweek this go-round. No big reason other than Hilton Head Island calls our name next week and, well, You don't want to wait a full two weeks between these epic pods, right? As we tend to do now that we are out of college sports season, we'll jump around a bit this week, but from podiums to tee up around the world and the sprint, there will be a little something for everyone, including right here, right now, a shout out to Spencer Turnbull, the sixth different Tigers pitcher to throw a no-no in the history of the old English D. Impressive. But maybe more impressive is that the Mariners have been no-hit twice this month, and we thought the Tigers couldn't hit. With that, let's go to the podium. Ryan, the lectern is yours. Yep, this week I'm going to talk about NBA playing games, um, something that people have different opinions on, and I might be one that has the unpopular opinion, but I kind of like this idea. It kind of makes it like the NCAA tournament, the way they're kind of trying to build that suspense up, give more teams a chance, I guess, uh, giving the fans more to cheer for, which is cool, um, putting a little, little more on, you know, getting to those spots so you can play other teams and whatnot. Um, you know, the th- only thing I don't like about it is it w- could reward bad teams. I think we saw Charlotte last night. I mean, they were skidding towards the end of the year, and they didn't have a great record, and they got blown out by Indiana, who was, I think they were, no, they were outside. They were, I think they were the nine, but, but still, I think – I think this is a good idea, a good touch by the NBA, adopting this over from the bubble. Um, you know, just giving other teams, you know, that were close, say Portland, um, Portland's not in, but say Portland and L.A., you know, they're both head and head and going all the way to the end and they get to play each other and one was a nine and one was a, was a ten or eight and they get to play each other and that's kind of sweet. So glad they're getting to do that. I uh, don't have much else to say about that. Shout out to Turnbull, like you said, for the no-hitter. That's it's huge. Um, maybe the Tigers will win 10 more games this year. We never know. The NBA's got to do anything it can to get interest of these college basketball fans like me. I mean, it was it's kind of cool, the whole one and done. It's like what Major League Baseball has done with the one and done. Um, I still think they've got a ways to go. Maybe I'll pay attention towards the end if I have any interest at all in the two teams, but eh, NBA, boring. Um, So my take, a little different topic, a little more serious maybe. No, not COVID, not cancel culture, um, although that still pisses me off. So 
No question, the Larry Nasser scandal that rocked USA Gymnastics and Michigan State was deplorable, disgusting, reprehensible, and every other epically bad adjective that exists. May that dirty effing perv rot in prison and then hell. But, that to the side, my question is, with the absolute beating Michigan State took over this case, where is the equally armed with torches and pitchforked masses, a.k.a. media, over similar cases at Ohio State and Michigan? I mean, seriously, is it no big deal because those were male-on-male abuse cases? Or maybe it's to protect guys like Bo Schimbeckler and Woody Hayes? And and more recent for Ohio State, too. Uh Wait, uh, I know why. Because Ohio State and Michigan fans butter ESPN's bread. Not even the fans, actually. They're schools. Those are the cash cows. Yeah, I get it. This is a money game. Typical media horseshit, if you ask me. Similar to why we've gone 15 months in a pandemic without any sense. Oh, I did touch on COVID. Sorry. The media controls the message. It's bad for the coffers if there is a witch hunt against TV ratings darlings like The Ohio State or University of Michigan. Best to just let it run its course and then and only then spend resources chasing down the horror stories from these innocent victims. Color me disgusted, if not at all surprised, that the crack reporters at ESPN would rather keep the stories in CBUS and Ann Arbor at bay after they routinely destroyed Michigan State and prior to them, Penn State. Shame on you, big sports media. These stories, these victims, they deserve the coverage you blanketed State College in East Lansing with. They're all disgusting. They're all ridiculous. Stop playing big brand favorites and cover the damn stories the same ways. All right, moving on to our tee-up of the week. I will tell you who, what, and Ryan will tell you why. We're going to go with Louisville basketball. Yeah, we all know that Louisville basketball here in the last 10 years has been in the in the media portrayed in a bad way and for good reason for for a lot of different reasons, um, you know, cheating, different scandals, strippers. The, the stripper scandal, the whole thing with Patino there, and then the whole Brian Bowen paying thing, scandal, all that good stuff. But yesterday, um, their former assistant coach, Dino Guadillo, uh, was charged with felony exhortion. He was fired in uh, late March by Coach Chris Mack. Um, and this was because he did not report recruiting allegations to the media unless the university was going to pay him for the next 17 months, like basically pay him a ransom um, or just extortion, and money, bribery, and just ridiculous, ridiculous thing going on here at Louisville. I mean, the, their issues just keep mounting, and and this just shows that Louisville is in a hole, and the hole is just getting deeper and deeper by the second, and I just don't understand how Chris Mack could not know about this. He obviously did. He acted like he didn't. Um, but, I mean, if this is your assistant coach who you're dealing with every day and you don't know about this kind of stuff, um, maybe uh, have better communication or just stop lying. Um, but, like I said, two, two of these cases here in the last 12 years, they're under investigation. Um but crazy by the NCAA and then even by the federal, the feds, honestly. Um, so just more and more investigation will be forthcoming here in the near future, and uh, they might get the death penalty. Um, with I don't think they finished the one case yet, the Patino thing, and then just this adds on to that garbage. So Yeah, and then all the pay-for-play scandal with this, the Adidas and not, whatever. Not good. So Louisville, you're, you're teed up um, again. Uh, not by, First time by us, but by the... 
NCAA and the Fed. So you guys better watch your back or else uh, you might be in big, big trouble. Yeah, that may change up uh, something that we're going to talk about here around the world in spot number one. Um, it feels like the Power Five could use some realignment to better balance the competitive landscape. We talk about it a lot here. Expanding the playoff would be helpful, but still it's the same teams all the time. So I'm going to start us out here since I've been cooking something up. I've put a little little bit of thought into how I would realign uh, FBS. So we're talking football only here. You know, basketball obviously has some different things in play. So maybe we'll talk about basketball later in the summer. For me, I'm going to start by re-regionalizing things and putting back some natural rivalries. I'm also going to go with six 10-team conferences. No more of these four mega-conferences where too many of the teams never see each other in years when teams are you know, good and they never meet. So, and Actually, I'm going to go 12 10-team conferences overall when you factor in group of five. Yes, I realize there are 130 in FBS right now. So, sorry, but there are 10 schools that are going to have to drop down a level. Yep, 10 schools are going to drop down to FCS. More on that in a bit. Given today's climate, I'm sure that's not going to be hard financially. I'm sure there's 10 programs that would love to go to FCS for at least the short term. But back to realigning the current Power 5. This shift allows <coughs> excuse me, allows us to get my dream for nine league games, so you're playing everybody in your conference, and three out-of-conference games for everyone while we drive the true champions. It also allows us to ditch the conference championship games, use that time to move towards a 16-team playoff. I get it. There's a lot of money in the championships. There'd be more money in a 16-team playoff. In my plan, FBS becomes a little like soccer in England, where certain teams can move up and down across levels and conference affiliations with success or failure. More on that on those specific details maybe later in the season, but you'll kind of get my gist when we go through this. So, here are my new Power 6 conference for conferences for football only. The Big East, Boston College, Notre Dame, Louisville, Penn State, Pittsburgh, Rutgers, Syracuse, VaTech, Wake Forest, West Virginia. Minus Notre Dame and Louisville, and Louisville could be one of those teams that we, we move out to... Um, a conference to be named here down the road uh, as one of those teams on the outside looking in. But I feel like that sets up as competitively balanced, pretty much regionalized. You're going to see, obviously, some big changes. Penn State, we love you in the Big Ten, but you're not an original, so get out. Rutgers, same with you, not an original, get out. Um, Syracuse, back in the Big East. Boston College, back in the Big East. Um I think that there's a lot of opportunity with the Big East there. So obviously that has some bearing on the ACC because some of those schools right now, a lot of those schools are in the in the Big East. Plus, well, before that too, you've got some natural rivalries. Penn State, Pitt, Pitt, West Virginia, and so on. Um, <coughs> moving to ACC, Duke, Georgia Tech, Florida State, Maryland, Miami of Florida, North Carolina North Carolina State, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, and Virginia. So a couple of the big changes there. Maryland goes back to the ACC. Again, sorry you've been ish okay for the Big Ten, but you belong in the in the ACC. Reinstall, reinstall that rivalry with Duke. 
Um, I like those other Florida schools in there, Miami of Florida, um, and then Florida State. Another couple big changes, South Carolina moves out of the SEC into a, a league that seems to fit them a little bit more. One team is conspicuous by its absence. You'll see why in a minute. And Vanderbilt moves in here um, out of the SEC as well. So the SEC, I'm going Alabama, Auburn, Clemson is the big addition, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Tennessee. So pretty much the the cream of the crop that already existed in the SEC, plus a swap out to put Clemson in there and take South Carolina out. Some of that's maybe based on the last five or so years, but rightfully so, I think that that would be a better fit and for competitive reasons. Big 10, shouldn't be a surprise. We're going back to the original, baby. Not University of Chicago original, but Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, Michigan State, Minnesota, Northwestern, Ohio State, Purdue, Wisconsin. Get back to the 10. Keep the name Big 10. Voila. A new conference. I'm going back to the Southwest Conference. Formerly the Big 12, but there's not 12 teams anymore, so there's no need for that, although they're not 12 teams now, um, which was formerly before that, the SWC anyway. So you'll notice some originals if you are familiar with the old Southwest Conference moving back into this. Arkansas, they're one. Baylor, Colorado, I don't know that they were ever in the S in the Southwest Conference, but they certainly had a rivalry with Nebraska. Kansas, Nebraska, that's the other Big Ten team that moves back to where it belongs. Missouri, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas, and Texas A&M. So you can see that there's some really natural old school rivalries that go in there. <clears throat> that I think add a lot of intrigue to that conference. Um, Texas A&M going back where they belong, playing Texas every year. That's one of my favorite things out of that. Pac-10, formerly the Pac-12, goes back again to the original. Arizona, Arizona State, Cal, Oregon, Oregon State, Stanford, UCLA, USC, Washington, and Washington State. So that obviously leaves teams. Five to be exact, since we put Notre Dame in a conference. Um, there were 64 teams otherwise in conferences in the Power Five. So left out, but not really left out, are Texas Tech, TCU, Utah, Iowa State, and Kansas State. And this is where you could maybe flop out Louisville if they're going to be given the death penalty, for example. But we'll leave that for another discussion. And then we're going to also include in this conference BYU, Cincinnati, Boise State, Houston, and Memphis. Those 10 are on the outside looking in, but this 10 will create what I'm going to call, just for the sake of discussion, the Shifty 7. Um, because that's a conference from which teams can move up and swap into the new Power 6. Don't ask me how on that now. It's going to have to do with you know wins, winning percentage and stuff. But those are guys that are out of the Power 6, but still kind of on the cusp and could get in there. The other 60 schools that currently comprise FBS will need to shed 10. And they could build a similar, say, Terrific 13 conference that allows teams to float into the other non-power conferences or back to FCS. This model gives the little powers hope, gives long-suffering programs a ch chance to rise up once in a while, and for some constant shifting of the landscape at the top to keep it all exciting, new, competitive, and most of all, the TV bucks flowing. All right, Ryan, that was a lot to digest, but if you could change it all, what would you do? Yeah, my plan isn't as upscale and thought out like that. Um, you know, I think this can remind me of when this question was posed, how on 
old NCAA football video games. You could make the conferences however you want. And so that kind of remind me. That's so fun. Um, yeah, I honestly, I I didn't change conferences much. Um, I said for the ACC, I think they should go back to what they used last season for forever and have Notre Dame make them join, um, make it a 15-team league. I think that Notre Dame needs to be in a conference even though they never want to be. Um, I think it would be good for them. Keep it the way it is, and then I'm going to talk about basketball here after I'm done with football. But in the Big Ten, I think that you could possibly drop out Rutgers and Maryland um, and kind of get back to that 12-team that thing we had going on for a couple years there. Um, but if you were to drop one team, it would probably be Rutgers and add a team like, I don't know, Cincinnati or something that's an up-and-comer in college football and has been pretty good in basketball as of late. Um, and stays within the more Midwest footprint. Now, obviously, Rutgers has used it for the New York media market, but um, that'd be my change in the Big Ten. Big 12, obviously at 10 teams now, I think bringing back Colorado and then adding like Houston or something would be kind of sweet, bringing back to the traditional 12. Um, I think Colorado, just like I still always think that they're in the Big 12 because that's what they were when I was younger. I think that's the natural fit. Their SEC, I think, would be good the way it is. And then Pac-12, I'd say, since Colorado's leaving, bring in a team like BYU, who's also an independent right now. Um, you know, I think they've proven that they can hang um, with the big boys in in many sports, and I think that'd be good to bring them in. Kind of stays more west than Colorado there with Utah. Um, but for basketball, I think do the change that I made above, but I. I Something that I miss is the old Big East, the Big East from when I was in like middle school. You know, like the like UConn obviously just got back into the Big East for basketball, which is great. Um, but teams like Pitt, Syracuse, Louisville, like teams like that in the in the Big East, and then drop some of those non-traditional Big East teams and kind of throw them into a conference of their own, or maybe add them into another one for just college basketball. I think that'd be really cool to go back to that, especially with those teams being really competitive now. Um, and I think the Big East would be even better um, than it was back then, which is kind of crazy to say. But, yeah, that's that's what I had for that one. I even thought about – for I mean, we'll get into basketball maybe later, but I even thought about for basketball almost ditching conference affiliations minus, you know, holding on to some rivalries, obviously, Indiana-Purdue, Michigan-Michigan State, so on and so forth. But just make it a little bit more strength of schedule based, I guess. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about that later. But – Look, mine will never happen. Um, there's a reason they consolidated to begin with. But I think it just would – I mean, you'd get true champions. Everybody would play everybody in the conferences. You would reinstall some old-school rivalries that were just vintage in the 70s and 80s and even 90s that have been taken away since then. People that aren't really – Colorado doesn't fit in the Pac-12. You, I mean, Utah, Cave, okay, maybe they played their way up. But like I said, put them in that tweener conference where they have a chance to move up. But I'm just, I don't know. There's there's some things that I think, you know, it's it's some of it's maybe the tradition. Some of it's just getting, you know, cutting the chafe a little bit and getting rid of the, you know, kind of the weaker schools. And I think with that, maybe you even just go to a championship for FBS 1 and an FBS 2 level championship you know, with that one kind of level that you can kind of earn your way in and out of to flex. Um, yeah, something like that to change it up. Football's got some work to do, I think, um, even though it is king. Um, it just, it, it, it needs a stir of the pot for sure. So spot number two, um, 
NIL is coming soon for a handful of states, July 1st to be exact. This uh, means some, including the rich, will get richer while others wait. Lots of chatter on this one right now, again, um, especially probably because college sports are kind of on a little bit of a break. So transfer portal is a little quiet and NIL comes back to the top. We'll start with you, Ryan. (laughs) Do you think NIL is right for college athletes in general? And if so, is it fair that states are deciding which could tip the balance out of the gates? Is there any chance the NCAA and the government gets their poop in a group and figures this out so it's fair for all at one time or not? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'll start with your last question. I I don't I, I just right now I think there's too much it's a two-way street right now. I think like they're too focused on themselves or not like working together to kind of get a common theme going, which is going to be the the issue obviously the biggest issue. I mean, I think Alabama and Florida are two of the states of the five that are um, start July 1st with the NIL, um, and those are two great states for college athletics, um, which is not good for the rest of college athletics. Um, but my biggest thing with this is, I mean, I, I understand it, that athletes feel like they deserve more, um, you know, just like endorsements for signing stuff or for they think they can get money for being a representative for a local store or something like that. But I just the thing that makes me mad about it is I've always been big on the NCAA and its amateurism. You know, just not being paid like that's what they are. They're amateurs. They're not professionals. They should not be getting paid. They're already getting school for free. They're already getting all this stuff. And yeah, I mean, like I agree that there should be a lot looser restrictions with that. But still, it's just like one other protections. You know, like insurance for if you get hurt. You know, I mean, you have the opportunity to go back and finish your degree, I think, at pretty much any point. And there's there's a lot of things that could be additive without just putting money into the pockets. In using the money that these schools earn out of TV revenues and doing it that way, that's more equal for everyone. Because I just think this whole thing is wrought with cheating up the wazoo and yeah. pushing, the, pushing the gray areas even more than ever. Yeah, there's a really good article on The Athletic about it, and it touched on an issue that I also believe is the biggest issue is middlemen involved in this. I think that mm-hmm. you're going to see a lot of shady activity going on. Um, if you think that you know p- teams cheated now to get people, I mean, people are going to start giving car uh, millions of dollars. I mean, this is, this is insane. This is not the path we want to go down. Mm-hmm. College sports is never going to be the same, which is hard to see and hard to kind of swallow that pill. Um, but, you know, I think that hopefully that they can kind of get their ducks in order here and, you know, just kind of just federal law. The feds and the NCAA need to kind of come together and be like to states like we're either all doing this or we're all not going to do it. It all needs to be at once, not other states more than others right away. I think that that would be really good. On the start, but like I said, not not the ideal thing we want um, in college athletics. Just more drama and more teams being able to throw out, just cheat, basically cheat, but not cheat to get what they want. Yeah, the rich will get richer. I I don't think it sets up well. I get it, right? Like free enterprise, um, and I have zero confidence that the NCAA can figure this out. Hell, if the country can't figure out this stupid pandemic in 15 months and just barely and you know blows around like a fart in the wind with oh do this don't do this do this don't do this for a glorified maybe a little bit worse out of the gate flu sorry that's my opinion you don't have to agree with me and it took us 15 months to figure that shit out what's it going to take 
with the NCAA to figure this out because they haven't figured it out ever before anyway. They even pick on who they're going to go after and who they're not, who they're going to let transfer, who they're not. I have zero faith in it. Um, it is going to get messy. And those states, as of July 1st, are Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Mississippi, and New Mexico. So you think Bama, Auburn, UGA, Florida, the Knolls, the Canes, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State aren't going to take advantage of this? Hell right they are. Um, you know, while we talked before that NIL or something like it feels right, this is not it. And it is going to get really, really dirty, really nasty, really fast. And like I said, there is just no way the NCAA gets it together in time to ensure a fair start at the same time for everyone. They're just not smart enough for that. They've proven that. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see what happens here. Uh, you know, it could be that, you know, Ryan's old level D3 is the only place where you find the true student athlete because they're not getting anything to go to college athletically. They're getting stuff to go to college academically. So, Hang on tight. There'll be a lot on this in the coming really six weeks because it's going to be the spotlight in college sports. All right, spot number three. Little Mount Rushmore again this week. Last week it was par threes. This week let's talk top par, top four par fours in golf. All right, we'll go back and forth, Ryan. We might have some of the same par fours or. I mean, you could go a million ways in par fours because there's a lot more of them. Um, I'll go first, and it's not a draft. Um, my first in my Mount Rushmore par fours has got to be Augusta number 18, Holly, 465 yards, almost always a factor for the winner. You got a tight driving lane off the tee. Lane off the tee. You got bunkers, deep bunkers on the left. They don't look like it on TV until guys get in them and you can't see them from the green. Um, you know, you got Pine Star to the right, you got a tricky green, you've got a lot of epic finishes here. I think of, you know, Tiger's wins there. I think of Phil's first <clears throat> major win when he got it in his, you know, two inch vertical leap before he had the calves that he's got now. Um, this, to me, this is just a classic finishing hole. Ryan, what's your, yeah, what's your first choice? Uh, the first choice I had was actually overseas, uh, home at Carnoustie, um, Barry Byrne. Um, John Vandeveld, beware. Um, tough hole. Um, great ending hole for the open. Um, Not that long, like 400. No, it's 444 so, yeah. from the from the tips. Um, so it doesn't play super long, but like I said, the burn comes into play. Thick, rough, uh, pop bunkers everywhere. So, well, and you think of Vandeveld, I had that hole too. You know, he had the epic meltdown in 1999, and if you've never seen it, if you mildly like golf, go do yourself a favor and look it up. It's just, uh, I mean. It's like depressingly comical. But Padraig Harrington, when he, I don't know if it was his first one that he won or if it was the second one, but it was 2007. He actually went in the burn twice on that hole, uh, you know, which made him fall into a playoff, which he eventually won. But, you know, for today's standards, 450 yards, I mean, Ryan and I might run into something that's pushing 450 for a long par four, you know, if we're playing like the blue tees somewhere. So for the pros, it seems like nothing, but that, that burn, or which is basically like a creek that winds throughout, is pretty sweet. All right, my second one. I'll stay. Um, uh, that was my second one. So uh, I'll go to 
No, you go to next, Ryan. We'll go. We'll go with your your second one. Yeah, uh, my second one was hole number three at Oakmont Country Club, uh, Church Pew Bunkers, playing four hundred twenty eight yards, number one handicap, um, where Dustin Johnson won the twenty sixteen U.S. Open. Um, like I said, Church Pew Bunkers are awesome down the left side there. It's uphill. The rough is absolutely wrist breaker. Um, always plays as a really hard hole. Um, I remember watching that at the Open a few years ago, and it was, it was a fun one to watch. Just beautiful as well. So <coughs> my third one. Um, Second. Well, third because I took Carnoustie also. We'll go with uh, Pebble Beach, number eight. You know, Again, 450 yards or so. Hugs the Pacific on the right. Requires, you know, actually a pretty short tee shot for pros, about 240 yards. Um you know, and that tee shot will, the ocean will swallow up hard cuts or slices. And then you got a daunting uphill 190 yard shot across the chasm to a tiny little postage stamp of a green. Um, it's epic in its beauty, it's epic in its challenge, you know, factor in the wind. You know, probably this, probably really the second, I mean, you got number seven's really pretty, but t- t- for me, between 18 and 8 are probably the two most picturesque holes at Pebble Beach. So that would be my, what ends up being my third choice inside Carnoustie 2. How about you, Ryan? Yep. Um, literally have the same one, Pebble Beach, for all the same reasons. That cliff is it's scary. Um, probably couldn't drive it that far, thank goodness. But, um, yeah, just awesome how it goes. Yeah, to land it there and then go across uh, the ocean there. Um, should I go for my last one? Yep, then? go for um, it. My last pick, probably my favorite one, um, the road hole at St. Andrews. Um, I would probably hit the hotel, um, but just absolutely beautiful, um, just classic golf links. Um, yeah, you can't, I mean, you got to see it to believe it. Yeah, formerly the you know, railroad sheds, now a hotel. It seems like, what What am I, I'm just aiming at the building. You know, it's a blind tee shot. You got to go over it. The second shot's to a slender green that kind of runs away right to left. It's got just a nasty bunker right there in the middle. If you get in there, you're death. Um, and actually, I find it really interesting that out of par fours, because obviously there's a lot more. Like most courses have, you know, on average four par threes and four par fives. And then, you know, the rest, the you know, 12 par fours, basically, give or take, depending on the course. And out of that, Ryan and I picked three of the same, um, which just tells you how classic those holes are. But, I mean, there's so many amazing holes. It was actually really hard to try to boil it down. I had to just kind of do some Google research to jog my memory. I can throw in another bonus one. Uh, Oakland Hills, number 16, water down oh, the whole yeah, right side. And Played we've that. gotten to play that. Yeah. Play it at, at Oakland Hills and at the Ross Memorial up in uh, Boeing. Uh, yeah, that's right. It's the finishing goal. hole on... At Ross, right? Yes. Number 18, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Spot number four, and sticking with golf, we'll go a little back and forth here. Let's discuss the second major of the year. Um, feels weird to say that because I'm so used to the PGA being last and being in August, um, even though it shifted a few years ago. The PGA is this weekend in Kiowa Island, South Carolina. If you have not seen it, again, if you're only mildly a fan of golf, do yourself a favor and turn on the TV this weekend because it is absolutely splendid it's got the atlantic ocean bordering it on one side it's got the carolina um, low country in marsh bordering it on the other side there's no trees it's just sweeping sand dunes you know gusty winds um 
and long as hell. It's the longest course uh, in major history, over 7,800 yards if they play them back all the way on every hole. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to do that based on what I've read and seen, you know, with the winds and things like that. But um, let's, uh, Ryan, let's pick our foursomes for the weekend and maybe a sleeper pick too. We can kind of go back and forth here. And I'll tell you, I'll give you a precursor because Chris asked me today if if I was going to pick another winner since I've picked two PGA winners so far this year. So I'm going to give you the betting odds uh, as well on my picks. So, Ryan, you go ahead. Yeah, like first. you said, longest course in the history of major golf, 78-76 uh, all the way from the back. Um, it's going to be a good one. Wind's going to be blowing. It's going to be warm. I think there's a lot of contenders in this one. Um, and the guy I'm going to start off with is the guy that's probably – playing really well, coming off a hot streak, Roy McIlroy, a lot of momentum, won a couple weeks ago at Quill Hollow, um, had been in a slump there for a little bit, but he's hitting the ball well now, he's got his confidence back, is it time for major number five and a repeat at Kiowa, possibly, um, we'll see, playing well, so. Rory McIlroy, not to be confused with Roy McAbee from 10 McAvoy. McAvoy, sorry, McAvee is another movie. Yeah, I think Rory, I mean, he won it there, what, 2012, did you say? Yep. Um, I've got, you know, not necessarily in any order, but I've got uh, John Rahm, I think, has got a real shot at it, plus 1,500. He's kind of due young, big hitter. It seems like maybe, because we saw a pretty good run out of him at the Masters, maybe having uh, his wife having a baby kind of calmed him a little bit because he kind of had a little bit of that volcano-ish temper. Um, he's grown on me a little bit, but at plus 1500, I've, I've got a little bit on him. I like him. Um, I'll give you a second pick and then we'll get Ryan's second pick. My second one, somebody who's always there, it seems like in the majors and had a really good chance at the masters and actually would have won me some bucks. Then at plus 2000 is Xander boy, Xander Schauffele. Um, you know, I've read some good things about him. He's been in contention a lot across all the majors really over the last handful of years. He's due for a breakout at some point, so I definitely have him in my foursome. How about you, Ryan? Yeah, my second guy was Mr. Jordan Spieth, probably the hottest golfer in the world right now, playing well. Uh, won just before the Masters at um, in San Antonio. Broke through after that really long slump again. Um, you know, I think he needs he needs this for the Grand Slam. He's come close a couple times in the PGA. Um, you know, the way he plays, and he's got, he's got to stay steady. He can't get too high or too low. Or else he has a chance. He has a chance to go really low, or he could go really high and miss the cut. I mean, it's it's this or that. I don't think there's really a mi- middle ground for him. I think it's feast or famine this weekend. I think it's a top ten or a miss cut. Um, to be honest with you, with Jordan, um, third guy for me, reigning champion Colin Morikawa, uh, best ball striker in the game right now. Young, um, he can do this thing. I think he really can. Uh, he's very very consistent. He doesn't make many mistakes. Uh, he isn't the longest hitter on tour, but just he's accurate. Like I said, probably the best iron player on tour. Um, his putting is improving. Um, and like I said, repeat maybe in the cards for this young guy uh, from California. I would not mind seeing him win. He's a very likable guy. Um, listened to him on a podcast um, the other day. Um, Golf Digest, really good, real well-spoken guy, fun to listen to. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go with Colin as my third yeah, my third is another guy that I like and have liked in majors. I liked him in the Masters, too, and at plus 4,000, I like him here. Tony Finau, um, 
long hitter. He's got kind of that, um, you know, more abbreviated swing. It's kind of looks like a three quarter swing versus some of these guys that get super loopy. I feel like he might be able to control that a little bit better in the wind. Um, and I think again, he's due. He's been so close. He's got what, like one, one win ever yeah, at Puerto not, Rico or something like yeah, that. I mean, nothing big. Deal. So, and he's confident. Um, I think that's a big part of it is just going in and being confident. <clears throat> so he's my third guy, and and not to win, but I'm going to put him in my foursome, and I picked him uh, in a bet to finish top ten at plus thirteen hundred. I got Ricky. I think he's been taking a lot of heat. He didn't even make the Masters field this year. He's been struggling a lot lately. Um, I think, you know, a top 10 here would do wonders to boost him. I love the guy. I think he's, he's a likable guy. He's a, he's a great player. He's just kind of lost his way, which is really easy to do in the game of golf. If you don't play, try it once or twice and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It's easy to get into a rut. He's kind of there. Um, I'm hoping for his sake that he can kind of break through and for me for a couple bucks anyway. Um, that he can at least get top 10 and kind of get back on the right track because I would love to see him get a major at some point in time. Feels like the PGA is probably his his style more than the U.S. Open. Maybe Masters is his style too, but that's uh, that's my fourth guy. How about you, Ryan? Yeah, my fourth is a guy that just won last year in South Carolina, actually. Um, that's Webb Simpson, um, very consistent player, um, has a major championship in the U.S. Open, the Olympic Club in San Francisco, He's won a long TPC time ago. Sawgrass yeah, he's too. won a TPC. I mean, he's he's won some big events. He's been up there in majors. Um, you know, looking for that second one. You know, the, the coveted second to show he's not one hit wonder. I think his game fits what's needed for this course. Very consistent. Not the longest hitter, but uh, plays irons well. Good putter. Good around the green as well. Um, yeah, I just like his game a lot. He's from North Carolina, so he's familiar with the lay of the land. Um, should be. Good weekend for Webb and my. I'll tell you the three backups I had. Um, if we were going to do this snake draft style, I was going to say uh, Tommy Fleetwood, also one of the better ball strikers on tour. Uh, Dustin Johnson, obviously, is from South Carolina. He just he's DJ. He's really good. And then Will Zalatoris uh, played great at the Masters, obviously, and he's been really consistent since. So, and those are the guys there. Then Dark Horse, I had Max Homa. Um, He's won earlier this year at Riviera, playing really good golf. Another guy playing really good golf, Cam Smith, the mullet man uh, from from Australia. Um, won with Mark Leishman down at um, Zurich in uh, Louisiana. So he he's playing good golf. Um, you know his game kind of fits this as well, link style, uh, wind playing in the wind. And then Jason Day, a guy who's also won uh, the PGA at a windy course in Whistling Straits uh, six years ago now. So. Those are my guys, and then we're going to pick a winner here. You want to go first? Or? Um, I didn't pick a winner. I have a long shot. I, I mean, I, I'm probably – I mean, I'm going to go with Rom probably as my winner. My long shot, just because I like that plus 13,000 in, yes, even though I railed on my – teed myself up a few weeks ago after I picked Stuart Sink a dollar plus 13,000. I only put a buck on him, and this was a while ago when he was kind of hot and, and – Maybe struggled like on a Sunday in a tournament. He hasn't done much since, but I'll keep him as my long shot. Uh, as I got a little bit on plus thirteen thousand, Billy Horschel. He's a little bit temperamental, I think, which could backfire on that pick for me. Um, just in these conditions, you're going to have to be super patient. I mean, think. I think with the layout of this course and the length of this course and the wind, not the rain, 
and not colder temperatures, more like upper 70s, low 80s. But think British Open. Um, and you got to have a pretty good temperament and patience to be able to kind of get through that. So, Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I'll go with Rom as my winner. How yeah, about you? Who my you winner, um, my first guy, Roy McIlroy at nine under par. I think he squeaks it out. I think it'll be a crowded leaderboard. I think he wins by about, I'd say, I'll say two strokes, um, tie for second. And I'm going to go no better than minus five as the winner if the wind blows how they said. Like and it. the thing is, is you know, there's a must-read article by BQ Brendan Quinn on the Athletic. Um, he walked the course and kind of the conditions and gives you, you know, he's not a golf course designer, but he gives you a pretty good feel for what they're going to be running into. And then talk to a lot of guys. Uh, you know, this to win this is going to take not only a big hitter, but it's going to be a precision big hitter, which is kind of rare. Like you look at a DeChambeau, yeah, he can hit the snot out of it. But can he keep it in play? He did for the U.S. Open. And notice we haven't really talked about him. Yeah, and that's another thing I wanted to touch on. Um, in real quick. But you know, if the wind blows as forecast, and they're, you know, they're saying really ten to fifteen the whole weekend, maybe plus. Um, you know, guys were hitting driver fairway wood into long par fours. These are pros, guys that you know hit a a. a Seven iron, 250 yards, you know, driver fairway wood. Um, 17 plays 235, and actually, I think it's 14 plays 233. Um, and, and 17's like 13 yards wide, and they both at some point this weekend are going to be straight into the wind. Probably won't play them all the way back on those days, but um, Adam Scott, it was funny in that article, said that 16, which is 608-yard par 5, so it's a pretty hefty par 5. With the way the wind was blowing the day he played it and the way it's supposed to blow three of the four days, plays more like it's 750. 750 yards. This should be uh, what we often see for the U.S. Open. I love it. I want it to be hard like it is for the rest of us amateurs. I like it to be a struggle because I want to see how guys handle it. No, I don't want seven-hour rounds. No, I don't want guys you know, getting out there protractors and whatever like Bryson, but... I, that's why I love the U.S. Open is because I want it to be a tough test. I don't want – I can see any other week guys, you know, fire 20, 23, 25 under and win. I want I want it to be a grind, and I think that this one's going to be a grind. Wait, Ryan, you had something Yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't think this is the weekend for Bryson. Um, he can't overpower this course just because you have to be smart. The wind, um, just runoffs, there's, 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 there's crap everywhere that – if you have a wayward tee shot, you're in trouble. I mean, the waste bunkers, I just read an article, I didn't even know this. There are every bunker is playing as if a waste bunker, so you don't have to rake it, um, which could become detrimental if you hit it in the trap. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, not it's not going to be Bryson's weekend. Obviously. Don't ground your club. Like, who was it that did that DJ and cost him at Whistling Straits, right? Yeah, I think he did. Well, he grounded his club and what he thought was a was just a patch of dirt and it was a waste bunker. Um so same type of thing is in play. All right, spot number five. We're going to stay in the world of golf for our fifth and final spot. Um, shout out here to the big fella, my partner on the podcast, for cracking 80 for the first time. I've only done it once, maybe twice, and it took me into my 30s to do it. He did it at the ripe old age of 21, almost 22. Um, this weekend we played Makatao Legends here in Holland. Um Ryan, how about you give us a little bit of a high-level overview from your perspective? Yeah, I, I, 
last year was, or I played this course a couple of years ago for the first time, consistently started playing it last year. Big fan of the course. Um, very linksy, not many trees, very open. Wind's always blowing, which makes it tough. A lot of the holes are into the wind, the prevailing wind coming off the lake, um, out of the west, uh, south, southwest usually. Um, like I said, fun to play, yet very challenging. I think it's a good mix of length and then some finesse there, some shorter holes. Um, Got to get creative on some of them. Um, you know, I think that it was designed really well. Um, lots of water, lots of bunkers. Greens are pretty fast. Um, you know, in spots the fairways are tight, but a lot of them they're also wide, so very forgiving in parts and also not, which is a good mix. Um, I believe the slope, it might be in the low 130s, so it's not an easy course by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, that's on the white. It's not even the blues. Yeah, that's the third. The blues, yeah, so that's the third. The, uh, not even the tips and not yeah, even the, the tips blues. are very high, like 140 ish, um, a rating of about 75 for. Um, scratch, so that's pretty good. My favorite hole on the course um, is hole number eight. Um, if you haven't played the course, it's a uh, straight-on hole, but there's many tiers of the fairway. I think there's like four different like fairways you could land it on. It's kind of weird, but uh, marsh slash lake on the right side that you do not want to hit into. Green's kind of perched up, smaller green, but long, um, fun, fun, fun hole. Um, and then I think the hardest hole in the course is hole number two, longer par five. Um, most of the time, if not always, into the wind. Uh, water down the right, so it doesn't play well. My left to right shots, um, I think I've only gone there a couple times, which has been good. Um, would not replace any holes on this course. Um, yeah, it's, it's a fun one. Um, like I said, lengthwise, um, some longer par fives, shorter ones, uh, medium length par fours, longer par threes, and short ones as well. So it's, it's a good mix. I like it. Yeah, I would say for me, what I like is, you know, a lot of it's the same as what Ryan said. You know, it's the link style, but with plenty of water in play, too. Um, the wind is always whipping. It doesn't matter what. It seemed like we drove the 500 yards over there from the condo and thought, oh, it's fine. And then you get in the cart and you get on the first tee and it starts up. It's just like, it's like that at our home course, Boulder Creek, too. Um, water is well in play on nine holes on either side. It's not just always on the right or always on the left. There are expansive waste bunkers. There's some blind shots. It isn't tricked up, uh, but it's a battle with the wind and I would say well-placed hazards. Um, it's probably one of the harder courses that we regularly play. You know, I mean, I think I've been as low as uh, low mid 80s and I've been as high as high 90s. I mean, it's just, it kind of depends on how you're hitting it and where, how that wind's blowing. Um, it's got kind of a character all its own, really, I would say, but maybe, you know, if I try to always compare courses that I play just to get a feel for it, um, maybe some mixes of the Heather at Boyne, a little bit of Hawkshead that we played a couple weeks ago, maybe even a little bit of Quail Ridge and Ada, which is a course that Ryan and I vowed never to play again because it eats our lunch. Um, Ryan gave you his favorite hole. Mine, I really like 11, uh, maybe because I birdied it the last time in the midst of an average round for me. It's got, you know, the look of a long, narrow par five because water runs the entire right side of the hole. I mean, if you hit even the slightest cut shot and you're aimed for the middle, there's a good chance you're bouncing into the water. I've lost tee shots before that I thought were safe in the fairway that kicked off into the water. Left isn't death, but it's kind of like the water is a magnet and really even as much room as there is left, it gets into a little bit of higher rough. It just visually because of even where the green is it just keeps you tugging over towards the right and i would say it's really a 
true, even though it's typically the wind is more at your back, it's really a true three shot par five for amateurs. Um, you know, and it's got a multi-slope green, it's got some guarding traps, you know, so it is, I don't know what the handicap on it is, but it is not an easy hole. Um, in terms of me, I wouldn't really change any holes to be honest, but I would sure as hell skip a hole and that's number three. It's this pretty looking, seemingly benign par three. It's got a really big green, maybe one of the biggest ones on, on the course, it's got a hill on the left side that kind of guards it from going anywhere. You can get some good kicks off that. It's got a waste bunker kind of front and in front of the tee and down the right side of the, the whole hole. Um, I've never not duffed one into that damn waste bunker. And my best score there is a five. I mean, I like the hole. It's really visually appealing, but it hates me. So I say we skip that hole and we'll go play the number 11 twice. All right, let's get into some quick ratings on this one, Ryan, to round out this spot on the floor. Scale of one to five for the greens. What do you give it? Uh, for greens, I'll, I'll give it a 4.2. 4.2, yeah. I, I mean, I think it's in really nice shape here. We had kind of a cool stretch to start May, and then now it's been in the 70s, 80s here in Michigan the last few days. Super green. Good speed for mid-May. I'll go a solid four plus there. How about scenery, Ryan? Yeah, I, the scenery's not, I mean, it's just, I'd say about three. It's average. I mean, nothing crazy to look at. Just water and houses, but. Yeah, I, you know, runs through a mix of, you know, through and around a neighborhood. You know, the houses aren't in play. Thank goodness for my buddy Dobb. He would snap hook one off of the siding somewhere otherwise. Um, you know, it's, but it's, you know, it's a good mix of some tall grass, some waste bunkers. The water, the water's nice because it's not that mucky, swampy stuff. It's like actual, not clear, but it's sandy bottom stuff. That if you wanted to take off your shoes and wade in a few feet, you could probably find a lot of golf balls on the edges of some of the holes. Um, I'll give it a, you know, it's kind of similar to Hawk's Head, I thought, you know, because that even has a few houses around it. I'd give it like just a 3.5. It's not great for, for scenery, but it's it's decent. How about variety, Ryan? Yeah, I, I, I go higher here, like a 4.4. 4. Um, I think it's a good mix, like I said, of long and short and <clears throat> finesse and power. So, yeah. Yeah, and I will, um, you know, I think it really is a good mix of holes. The distances are pretty variable. There's a couple of par fives you can get home into. Others that are, you know, solid three shooters. Um, The threes are hard, but have some good variety. You know, there's a couple of shorties, a couple longer ones. Um, The fours are all solid, too. I'll give it a four myself. And how about overall, Ryan? Yeah, overall, I'll give it a 4.3. Um, good course. Could, in spots, could improve like scenery, but I think it's a good course in general. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a course we play five times a year because we've got a small little membership. We get 10 rounds, so we split them between the two of us. Um, so we enjoy five rounds there as we like to travel around West Michigan playing other courses. Um, it's a fun course to play those five times. I look forward to it, even though there's days when it's just not going very well. Um, I'll give it a solid four myself. All right, as always, we are going to end with a sprint. This is a fun one. I saw this on Instagram the other day. So shout out, I think it was CBS College Basketball or maybe Fox College Basketball. So I'm kind of ripping it off because it's a great idea. What college basketball announcer would you want to narrate your life story, Ryan? Yeah, I, I, I have to go with Gus Johnson. Good call. All right, then we're going to switch back to our topic du jour golf. 
What's your favorite golf major to watch? Yeah, for me, it's honestly the Open. I've always loved um, that links golf. Um, and just, yeah, I'm fascinated by it. All right. Here's a little bit of a multi-option question here, so follow along. Caddy, rangefinder, cart GPS, golf watch, or eyeball it using course markings? Yeah, I'm more of a watch GPS guy. I just got one for Christmas. Um, yeah, aim for the middle of the green. That's good by me. That is good advice. And best movie series? Yeah, you know, lots of thought on this one, but one, go back to my childhood, Toy Story. Um, love those movies. Ah, good choice, good choice. All right, so my sprint. Um, college basketball announcer, I would want to narrate my life story. Most forget that he did college hoops, but I got to go with Dick Enberg. Classic voice, incredible storyteller. Uh, he'd be my guy. Called the 1979 Michigan State national championship game favorite golf major to watch i'm going u.s open um i actually held my wife back from going to give birth to ryan so i could finish watching Payne stewart and phil Mad- phil mickelson battle at pinehurst Payne, if you remember famously won on the 18th hole with a long putt and then tragically died later that year um while phil got home just in time to see his firstborn his firstborn or his first child i should say born the same day as ryan june 21st and it was a girl. Maybe we could hook them up. I don't know. I don't know anything about her. Um, on the question of caddy, rangefinder, etc. You know, I haven't played with a caddy much. I do love a caddy. Uh, you know, I'd love one probably at a over in you know Scotland, England. I'd love one at probably Bandon Dunes. But I would say just generally, I'm not that accurate. I'm not that good. Just give me old school. I'll eyeball it and step it off to course markings. Um, I, I mean, I appreciate all the other technology and don't get me wrong. I use it, but, um, I'm old school that way for me, best movie series. Uh, I'm not going to go super obvious here. Maybe. Um, and I got two cause I always do cause I love movies for action movies. I got to go with the Bourne series. I still have not seen the last one that, uh, Matt Damon was back in, but I routinely watch the other three before he took a break over and over again when they're on TV, no matter where I catch them. Uh, And overall, though, my top movie series is the American Pie series, hands down. All right, Ryan, throw us a few social media reminders. Yeah, just a reminder, follow us on Twitter at the Final Score 35. Um, Keep giving us what you want to hear. Appreciate you guys listening. Uh, Thanks. That's it for this week. We're taking next week off. But we'll be back around Memorial Day with the PGA to recap. Some great golf to share. We've got three rounds on tap for Hilton Head. Um, We might not rank all of them, but we certainly will Harbor Town. And then surely more college sports to chat about, among other things. As Ryan said, share your ideas, your likes, your dislikes, etc. via our Twitter. And if you have a hot topic for us to debate, by all means, let us know. JG. I have a feeling you might have something you want us to talk about, so throw it our way on Twitter. Uh, Thank you again to Team Anders Realtors, our presenting sponsor. Learn more about how Team Anders can help you with your realty needs at teamanders.com. Meantime, this one time at Bandcamp, 